Everyone up here uh, tonight is a member of our church family. Uh, they are not trained pastors. Uh, Thor is a pastor in training. Uh, it's kind of the, the closest thing at that. So um, I would just, I would absolutely expect from you that you would 100% understand uh, the courage it takes for them to get up here and serve you in the way that they're going to serve you tonight. And so I I would love to just assume that you absolutely know tonight is not a place to try to make this be about you. It's not that. There are plenty of places in our world where you can loudly tell the world what you think about this topic. That's just not what tonight is for. And I would uh, personally, uh, as a pastor to all of these people, uh, I would really encourage if I don't have to protect them from you tonight if that makes sense. So I'm gladly willing to protect them from you, but I would prefer if I don't have to. So uh, with that said, uh, let, me, uh, let me pray for us, and then we will get right into it, all right? Father God, thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you uh, for your grace that is on display just in the willingness of eight individuals to get on the stage and, and talk honestly and openly about uh, their life story in a way that uh, can be very controversial from, from both ends. Um, God, thank you uh, for the, the courage and the love and the grace and the desire to serve uh, that you have placed in these eight individuals' hearts. God, thank you that we get to uh, be blessed by, by their honesty tonight. God, I pray uh, that our questions would be really sharp and helpful, that we would ask questions that, that we're confused about, and that uh, the questions would lead to answers that would be really helpful. And God, I pray that, that in all of everything that happens tonight, that you would be 100% glorified, Jesus, that you are more valuable than happiness. You are more valuable than, than romance. You are more valuable than uh, cultural acceptance or what's trendy or, or widely thought to be true. God, we, we love you so much. We thank you for loving us first. And most specifically, we thank you for Jesus dying for our sin in our place in the cross. It's in his name and for his glory uh, that we do what we do tonight. We love you. Amen. Would y'all put a big, give a big round of applause for my good friends? I'm not going to name them all, but come on up, women on Monday. This feels rather live. I think we're good. Uh, yeah, most of you know who I am. Uh, my name is Thor. I was talking on Sunday, so um, most of you are probably there, at least heard about that, which is why you're here. Uh, just thanks for coming out. We wanted to be able to have a time to get into a little bit more detail than would be appropriate in a, in a large Sunday gathering tonight. Um, I want you guys to know that you're free to ask anything, but we also have the freedom to not answer, and that might not be because we just don't want to answer it, it might be just that that would be, um, it would take more time to like think about an answer or whatever. So don't, we, I just wanted to let you guys know that we have the right to maybe not answer something right away or be like, uh, I need to think more about how I would answer that. Um, 
it's a huge gift to let people share and be honest with people about this issue in their own terms and on their own timetable. So all the people who are up here have shared with um, their life groups, uh, with the people who are really, you know, in their life. But I think for all of us, there's probably some extended family members who don't know our whole stories. And so I would just really, we've asked that you wouldn't social media this so that you wouldn't take any photos on your phone or Instagram it or tweet it or Facebook it or Snapchat it or anything else because um, it's a gift to be able to share with your family members in the way that you want and it would be really bad and awkward to accidentally your aunt or your grandmother or something finds out through some other channel. Um, and so we just like, ask you to respect that. Um, if people ask you who is on this panel, uh, if you have specific permission from one of these people that you can share, otherwise you could be like, oh, I wish you'd been able to come, or you know, maybe you can uh, contact Midtown and see if you can get a recording of it or, or something like that if you, if you really think you, know, you want to be able to give this. But just let these guys uh, you know, kind of have their privacy, their right to tell people um, on their own timetable. Uh, you can tell people about me. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> Let's see, anything else? Um, just, yeah, again, a reminder about questions. Uh, the questions won't be mic'd. Um, I'll ha- ask you, there'll be a few times of like free questions. So if you could stand up and just say it loudly, and then I'll repeat your question into the microphone so that it'll be able to kind of show up on the recording. Um, and the questions is a time to really try to, as succinctly as possible, just ask us a question. If the question requires a, a one or two paragraph buildup, maybe like think ahead of time, like how could I ask this in just the question part? And we may want more context. We may ask you like, oh, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that situation? And then you're free to add more details. But to try to like make the question as short as we can so that we can get through as many as we can. Um, and yeah, I think... That that's all. And so, yeah, if, if you want to do a follow-up question, like if you ask a question and we respond, one of us, and then you want to ask something again back, just so that everyone gets a chance to ask, maybe like seek us out afterwards or something like that, to ask a follow-up question. Um, I want to start out by reading a verse from Second Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And that verse is really our goal for tonight. We want to be able to share with you the comfort that we've received um, to share. We all have the same sufferings, kind of as I was talking about on Sunday night. We all are in need of the same comfort. We all have the same comforter, Jesus Christ, and we want to bless you um, by sharing in our comfort. So what I'd like to do first is we're just going to go around and introduce ourselves like very briefly, um, about a minute, just telling a super basic outline of our story. It won't be enough time for a testimony, just kind of introducing ourselves, so... My name is Thor, um, and they don't have to say their names if they don't want to. Um, 
But this is something that I feel like was always present in my life, an attraction to men. I, I sort of realized it in junior high. It was something I was really ashamed about, and I thought that there was no place for me in the kingdom. But um, I met Christian friends and kind of went through a period of confusion, thinking my orientation would change or trying to do be a good Christian just in case this was still an issue to God to kind of outweigh it. But I eventually sort of found the hope of the gospel and found that like I don't need to be worried about sort of changing my orientation, but just resting and relaxing and becoming more like Jesus Christ and seeking him out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, the microphone should be on, so you can kind of pass those around. I forgot to say that. Is it on? This one? Uh, Yeah, maybe use that one. I'll turn this on. And I'm 20 years old. This is weird, giving a brief bio. (laughs) Uh, I'm 20 years old. I'm a college student, um, and I guess a very brief overview of my story, um, I knew when I was really young that, this, that I was somehow different, and then like I think through puberty and high school it became apparent what exactly this was in my life, um, and some of the unhealthy ways that it has manifested itself is within like a lot of shame and thinking that I'm a mistake, um, and because of that, because of a lot of self-loathing that then developed, um, I struggled a lot with like best friend idolatry and emotional idolatry of other girls, um, both wanting to be them and wanting to have them. Um, so then that was a lot of my middle school and high school years, and I'm coming, I'm coming through that in the process of healing from a lot of that. Um, that's kind of where I am today. I've been a part of the Midtown family here for about six and a half years now, and um, I, I guess I uh, sort of realized that I had developed a, a same-sex attraction probably when I was around 12. Um, I didn't uh, really know much before that. Um, I was not raised in a uh, gospel-centered Christian home, um, and so it really wasn't a problem until when I was 17 I became a Christian. And um, the, uh, the Lord saved me in a, a fairly conservative church, and uh, that that believed that the, the Bible and the scriptures were true, and I never, uh, I never questioned, I never really had to struggle through um, whether or not that was accurate. Um, I think even, even before I knew the Lord, even before I really was, was attending church, I, I recognized that uh, my attractions were not natural of some sort. Um, I've been through a lot of counseling, I, I, I shared it and uh, was, was led to counseling. I've uh, experienced some uh, r- reparative therapy, which is kind of a buzzword um, in, in political circles today, and um, through that have, uh, have, have learned to grow a lot, and, and, um, and uh, yeah, so, yeah, thanks. Pass. Pass. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I basically growing up I always knew that there was something different about me and I kind of just boiled it down to being that I'm generally pretty weird and don't like the same things that all my friends liked Um, and growing up and being super introverted basically the way that I knew to deal with that was to just shut it down and turn it off Um, and then that was completely fine until I became a believer when I was 17 and learned that you actually have to deal with emotions and you have to talk through these things with people so that you can be healthy and gain fruit of the Lord, Um, and so it wasn't until I ended up in a very, very codependent relationship um, and was able to see that 
where my attractions lied and how that was affecting my relationship with the Lord. Um, and then I was able to confess that to my community, and they've been the greatest support I could have um, in guiding me through that and just pushing me towards Jesus throughout that. I've been at Midtown for about five years now. Um, I guess I, I noticed just kind of a difference in my attractions probably sometime early middle school. Grew up in a Christian household with divorced parents. Um, to live with my mom. Um, eventually realized that what I was experiencing was not um, in line with what I had been taught. And so um, I guess that led to just a lot of shame and guilt and, and trying to suppress the feelings instead of talk about them. I just hid it from everyone. So um, high school was pretty uneventful, but college is when I, I um, the feelings were kind of a little more real and got into some unhealthy relationships, but eventually, uh, through super gracious parents and the Lord just pushing me and pushing me, um, got to Midtown, met Thor, heard his testimony, confessed like my whole life pretty much to Thor for the first time to anybody, like huge burden lifted. Um, yeah, and just like ever since then, been walking in really good community at Midtown. Um, awesome roommates, awesome brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, and just like constantly seeing like the grace of the Lord through my community. So that's been really cool. Um, I am from Columbia. I've been at Midtown for about four or five years. Um, my story, I realized that I had um, an attraction for men, I'd say pretty young, um, but figured that it would just go away if I played enough sports. And the, just kind of ignored it. So I did, and that did not happen. Um, so when it didn't, going into uh, high school, I decided that if I got into uh, just one relationship, eventually it would just kind of wear off and go away, kind of get out of your system. So I did. Also did not help. Um, so then I went off to college. I wasn't walking with the Lord. I grew up in a household with a mom who was a very strong believer, a dad who's not. So um, we didn't go to church growing up. Um, I knew my mom was a believer, but didn't know what it looked like to walk with the Lord. Um, so I went off to college, got into uh, a couple of really unhealthy relationships. Um, and the last one, um, it just revealed to me that I had no value for myself um, or my body. And then realized I needed to make a change. Um, I was moving back to Columbia at the time. Um, came back, got involved with Midtown. And... It's kind of led up to where I am now. Okay, thanks. Um, we're going to start out with a few of the questions that have been submitted from the blog. Um, so these uh, first two questions are ones that I kind of like as many people as who want to to speak to. Uh, the first question is, what has been especially difficult for you in having this in your life? So it doesn't matter what order, but you can. Um, one thing that's been, I think, particularly difficult for me is watching... Um, a lot of my really close friends switch from a, like a theologically switching from a position of, um, I mean, knowing this is sin, but also understanding grace in the midst of it and then moving towards an affirming view. Um, and in that process, I've lost a lot of friends and I've lost a lot of like intimacy with those people. Um, and that's caused a lot of doubt in my own life, wondering like, am I wrong? Are we all wrong? And um, So that's been hard. I think some of the darkest nights of my soul have been wondering, like, am I wrong about everything, which could probably be an idol, like, an idol of knowledge um, rather than a relationship with Christ. But, yeah, that's one thing that's been particularly difficult for me. Hmm. Um, for me, 
my root insecurity in every situation in life, my root question that's just gnawing at my soul is what's wrong with me. And so this struggle in particular uh, has the tendency to ask that question a lot. Uh, it has the tendency to, to make me want to go to that place where, where I'm sulking and, and where I can't get out of uh, just being completely covered in, in shame of feeling that, that something is inherently wrong with me and um, that it, it's beyond repair and that it's, it's something, something that will never uh, be redeemed or redeemable. Um, I would say that expectations are one of the hardest things. Um, I mean, just boiling it down to stereotypes, you have the church who thinks that you're not saying that Midtown family's doing this, but stereotypically the church is saying, like, you're broken, you shouldn't be with the church, you're, this, is, this isn't healthy, like, this isn't real, you're turning to some kind of idol. Um, and then you have the gay community that is more like, you're completely denying yourself, why are you doing this, why are you saying that everything we're doing is wrong? Um, and it kind of leaves you at this point where you don't know where you fit. So it's like you're terrified to tell your community because you think they're going to disapprove, and then you're terrified to tell someone that might, might identify with you, but they're going to disapprove. And so it's so much of finding your satisfaction in the Lord. Um, and it's definitely something that I've experienced growth in, but is absolutely one of the hardest things. Hmm. Um, I'd say one of the hardest things for me is... <clears throat> I feel like my whole life I've, I've really valued family and, and like my, my siblings have kids and I really love to be like an uncle to them. Um, and I've always like looked forward to having kids and like having a family and the idea that that couldn't ha- might not happen is, has been tough, you know? But it was, it's, I was just idolizing this family and even like a romance idolatry. Um, not, to, not to say that that can't happen, but I was putting a lot of my hope in that. So that has been hard. And the push, like, with, um, I mean, it's great that we have a young church with a lot of marriages, but sometimes it can feel like a lot of pressure um, to get into a relationship and get married in two months. Um, (laughs) But, so those are some tough things. Um, hmm. I would say maybe, did you turn my mic down? Um, <laughs> I would say that it could be um, feeling like I'm not man enough or masculine enough because of this struggle. Um, and I think growing up in a household where, or in a household in a family where men are strong and women are feminine and men do this and women do that. And men don't say these things or don't do these things and women do these things and do that. So growing up and kind of like being the opposite and I like this and I want to do this and I'm more than willing to play sports with you, but also, like, I don't mind, like, helping mom out in the kitchen. Um, And just, like, the way that people look at these things and they say, okay, well, this, in order for you to be a man, you have to do this and you can't do that. In order for you to be a woman, you have to do this and you can't do that. And never feeling like I could fit into that role. Um, So just having this very, like, broken view of what masculinity is and what it looks like to be a man in a relationship, in a family, in a household. Thank you, guys. Um, another question that we got from the blog that I kind of want everyone to speak to briefly is, uh, you know, the question of origins is a really complicated question. So what insights have you gotten about what are some of the factors that 
played a role in the origin of this struggle in your own lives? Um, I think, I mean, my earliest memory of feeling different in my attractions goes back to like kindergarten, which is pre-pubescent. Um, so it wasn't necessarily the onset of puberty that I realized like, oh, I have weird relationships that are causing me to feel this way. So I think there was something, um, I mean, it's complicated and I can't speak completely to everything, but um, there was something about me that maybe had the predisposition for it. And then throughout my life, I made um, unhealthy decisions that probably implemented those desires more than you know they should have been implemented. Um, and so, I mean, this gets tricky really fast, but I think one of the reasons that it's very hard to find like an origin of it is because we're dealing with a sin nature itself and you can't really pinpoint where a sin nature originates. Like it's just kind of there. Um, and you can you know, find different um, causes for it, but it's difficult to say, okay, well, this is why it happened. Like I didn't suffer any abuse or anything in my life that would have caused it. It just sort of gradually like evolved over time. Um, so this was something that I had, I had really, uh, wondered going into, you know, how, what does it look like to fight this as a Christian? What does it look like, uh, do, do I fight this if, if I'm a Christian? And so I, I, uh, started going to counseling and, and part of that, um, was kind of digging into some past stuff that, uh, I, uh, had, had misnamed or in my mind forgotten. Um, and so I realized, uh, through some through counseling and through through going through some memories that when I was five and six, um, I was sexually abused by a couple of different people. And um, that in and of itself, you know, from, from people that I've talked to who have also experienced that, there's kind of one of two ways uh, that young, young boys are going to go from that. They're going to go um, hard into, you know, heterosexual acting out, or hard into homosexual acting out, or homosexual desires, or whatnot. And so, uh, for me, I think that was a that was a big part of, of my story, and, and um, a big part of, of some of the things that I, I deal with. Um, and you know, finding out that that, that happened doesn't just kind of it doesn't make anything go away. It's almost uh, I mean, it's kind of shocking. I found out when I was twenty one. Uh, that something happened when I was five and six, and I thought it was something completely normal and natural. And so, um, but I would say for me, that was probably a, a big part of um, where a lot of my um, attractions kind of come from. There never really was, for what seemed like like an origin point, other than it's just like always been there. Um, for me, I feel like I was... I am, and was an emotional and like insensitive, like boy, like as a child, and living with my mom, she she was emotional and sensitive, and and so we connected very well. Um, but my dad was very, I guess, emotionally disconnected and physically disconnected, and I and I feel like every boy wants to be affirmed as a man, like when you're little, and and I craved that from my dad, like I really wanted that, but. He was, he was not an unloving father at all. He really loved me, but just didn't know how to show it, like emotionally and physically. Um, so, I, I saw, I see that. I guess I've identified that's part of it, and I, in no way is it a blame game at all. But 
I feel like there were just various events like not getting that affirmation as a as a as a little boy, um, and that physical affection and and um, yeah, I think for me that's kind of what it is. So for me, I feel like it was, or like looking back, there may be a mix of a mix of two things that kind of formed what I was looking for in relationships and also the way the relationships went. Um, so being really young and being sexually abused, I think at that age, and I was so young, so the day before this started, I had no idea what it was like to be, uh, to have anything to do with sex. And then the day after, my eyes had been opened to something that I can't just go back and close my eyes to. Um, and then growing up in a household where my dad, my biological dad was not there, and my stepdad and my mom had a very broken marriage, so he was very physically abusive and verbally abusive. And so growing up, and he was an incredible dad to us, but I never gave him a chance. So being with my biological dad and him never really being there, even when we went to his house and he's always leaving, I always felt neglected and I always felt like I wasn't cared for. And being with my stepdad, I never felt protected because I felt like I had to protect my mom. And so all these holes that were placed there, I think going into a relationship, I was trying to fill those. And then with my eyes being so opened to sex at such a young age, going into a relationship, it just seemed like that's what naturally happens. It just comes next. So. Okay. Um, another question that was submitted to the blog um, was, I have some friends who never thought that they were gay, but they ended up... Um, in a homosexually, physically involved relationship with a friend. Uh, how does that happen, and what role does that play in relationship to this issue? And I might ask. So pretty much every girl wants to have a best friend, and that's not a bad thing at all. Um, but something that I've noticed, especially in church community, is that you get to a point with a girl where you are best friends, and you're sharing all of your emotions, and you're sharing all of your struggles with that person, and then when that happens and you're divulging so much information about yourself with one person, physical intimacy is what follows next. Um, that's, I mean, that's part of something why heterosexual couples when they're dating, like the farther you get into a relationship and the more intimate you are, the more strongly your desire is to be physical. Um, so you can go into a friendship and think, that would never happen, I could never see myself in a simple relationship, simple relationship in that way but it can completely happen to you, regardless of whether you struggle with same-sex attraction or not. Um, I personally found myself in a very codependent relationship with a girl that didn't struggle with same-sex attraction, and that was one of the most eye-opening things for me with dealing with the struggle, because it was very, very different for her. And so once we set up boundaries and were able to implement like healthy rules for our friendship, things became like infinitely easier, and it was like regaining your best friend after you've been struggling for so long together. Um, so after, after all that happened, like, we were completely blessed to like, be able to remain friends, and I've seen other situations where that hasn't been the case, but basically having a community is so, so, so important, and it's so important for that community to not be just one single person. Um, like, it's a life group for a reason, you know? You have so many people available to you that can be there with you, and I just like, you need to take advantage of that so badly. It's so good. Um, I feel like this happens a lot more with girls than with guys because for whatever reason, girls are a lot more like sexually fluid between like um, 
you know, heterosexual or homosexual relationships for whatever reason. Um, and I mean, that's a social stigma because girls can sit on each other's laps and guys can't. And I don't know why that happens, but uh, <laughs> why that is. Um, but I know in my life, like, I've had a consistent pattern of falling into, you know, looking for a best friend, looking for sort of that ultimate relationship. And because I hated myself so much, I just assumed, like, there was no way a guy could ever, and I wasn't really interested anyway, but I was like, there's no way a guy could ever feel that way about me. And so I pursued primarily best friendships with other girls, and then, like, every time fell, like, head over heels in love with her. Um, which, I mean, was so confusing for me because I had so much shame associated with that because I was like, oh, my gosh, that means I'm gay. Like, I'm the most disgusting person ever. Um, but it was never my, my choice for that to happen. It just sort of unraveled as all my insecurities also unraveled. And so I think it's even common that um, that would happen between, like, best friend idolatry, that you start to look towards that person, and then you start to have doubts about your own sexuality. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard it said, I mean, like, in a way, the same sex attraction underlies every single relationship we ever have of the same gender. Like, there's things that you like about people, right? And, like, there's a lot of ways, like, attracted to someone's sense of humor, attracted to someone's personality that are totally fine. Like, of all the kinds of attraction, like, there's 30 kinds, 28 of them are fine. And, like, the only two that, like, start to become unhealthy is when it becomes, like, erotic or emotionally dependent, which is where how you feel about yourself depends on how you think that other person feels about you. And so, like, the, those are the two kinds of attraction which are become really unstable. But for all of us, I mean, we talk about it as if, you know, we deal with same-sex attraction, but actually the reality is every single human is attracted on some level to people of their same sex. Um, this next one is, like, I think a really good question, but it's, it's a little bit trickier, so I'll kind of let whoever maybe wants to take a stab at this do it. Uh, we got a question from a biology major at USC, and he said in his biology classes, um, the professors are constantly making fun of Christians, that they are willfully ignoring the evidence that this is purely biological in origin, and that they're constantly taking stabs at a Christian. And he, just as a biology student, doesn't really know what to do with this or how to respond to that. And so basically I think it was a question to speak to like the possible biological origins of this. And I don't know, do any of you want to take a stab at that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no one? Okay. Um, I, maybe I'll just... Really, like, as much as, like, it is sort of become, like, the standard package that this is purely biological in origin... When you actually go in to look at the studies, there's a lot of very complicated uh, factors involved. Um, I found an article from Joseph Osmondson. He's a professor at the New School in New York, and he wrote an article in the LGBTQ Policy Journal for the Harvard Kennedy School, which is like a very good review of all of the biological studies that have been done on the biological evidence of, of homosexuality, and they're very conflicting. <laughs> and he's actually saying to the, to the gay community, like, we don't want this to be biological. Like, the fact that things are biological in origin, doesn't protect minorities. He's like, it's actually bad for the cause of gay rights to make this biological in origin. Because like identities shouldn't be, because then you could be treated as a disease, right, or something that could be fixed through gene therapy. And actually, I mean, you can do a lot of the research on yourself. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of studies. There's like twin studies, sibling studies. And it's so hard, it's like a very small and self-selecting pool of participants, so it's very hard to prove anything. Um, there's MRI studies, but neurological activity is not genetic either, like that's really so, so socialized. Um, and 
sibling studies are hard because you share a lot of environment as well as sharing a lot of genes. And Ivan think it's interesting. Uh, I know of at least six pairs of identical twins. Two of them were people I had been involved with, where one twin obviously was interested in men, the other twin was not interested at all. And they share 100% of their DNA. Right, and so, and the one like couldn't really understand. So it, it, it's impossible for it to be purely biological. So the picture is much more complex, and it, it serves a lot of political purposes. Or it's easy to kind of say, "Oh, it, you were just born this way," in the words of Lady Gaga. Right? But there's a lot more complexity. Right, we're dealing with humans. There's biological, and I, I just like the verse that Jesus says when he's talking about eunuchs. Uh, which were men that were unable to have sexual relationships. And he says in Matthew 19, he's like, some of you were born this way, some of you were made this way by other men, and others of you chose to be this way. But there's a place for all of you in the kingdom of God. And I think those three, three things that Jesus mentions, what you were born with, what happened to you, and then what you choose, um, none of those is the root of this, right? But like a, a biological predisposition might be there, um, that interacts with environmental things that happen to us, um, which then maybe get reinforced by what we decide to do with it. And, um, you know, um, yeah, so things are just kind of, it's a little bit more complicated picture in terms of that. So hopefully that helps whoever sent that in. Um, another question, we actually got this question in about 30 different forms. So I'm going to kind of combine this all into a thing. So... I know a homosexual couple um, who seems to have the fruits of the Spirit. I assume they're referring to Galatians 5. There are things like love, peace, patience, joy, kindness. Um, And they waited until their commitment ceremony before getting sexually active. So isn't this relationship lawful and, judging from outward signs at least, beneficial? Why would that be wrong? Um, Would any of you have any thoughts about that question? (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, that that's a uh, that's that's a very good question. Um, there, there's I, I think in in terms of you know sexuality, why did God choose to do it this way, or or why didn't God choose to do it that way? Um, there, there's a lots of room for us to ask that question and 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 to wrestle with that. But I, I think that Scripture uh, is clear. Um, when when God says that um, we we are to um, join uh, with one man should join one woman um, in marriage and and that that is sacred and that's holy and that's good um, and then there, there's uh, Romans one for example has um, pretty pretty clear uh, pretty clear direction when it says uh, this is uh, verse twenty four. Um, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator, who is, who is forever blessed. He goes on to talk about men trading natural relations with men, women trading natural relations with, with men for women. Um, I think it is, I, I think the Lord is, is fine with us wrestling with him with with questions like why is this why is this the case, um, I think that he actually desires that uh, Psalm Psalm thirty nine ends. Uh, David is is praying this prayer, and he ends. Um, I want to read it just so I, I make sure that I get it exactly right. But 
um, he's praying and he says, oh, hear my prayer, Lord, and give ear to my cry. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. And so this is King David, who, who's a man after God's own heart, and um, he, he is coming to the Lord, and he has, he has some bad theology here. Uh, he, he says, God, look away from me so that I can smile again before I depart and am no more. We know that that's not, that's not what, what happens when the Lord looks at us. When the, when the Lord shines his face on us, like, we know that that is where, where true life and true fulfillment and true happiness is found. Um, but I think this is in the scriptures because God is, is saying it's okay to bring your bad theology to me. Because we really do that anyway. We just don't know that it's bad theology at the time. But I think the Lord is able for us to, um, to, to come to him and, and ask him those questions. And I think he's faithful to answer them. You know, at the end of the day, you have to decide, are you going to uh, stand above Scripture or are you going to allow Scripture to um, show, you, show you the way, the truth, and, and the life? So. Um, one thing that I've read over and over again, and I think this is from Bonhoeffer, and I know that Wesley Hill has written about it, is he says um, sin isn't always going to be obvious, and sin isn't always what hurts us, but it's nonetheless you know, a sinful practice or behavior. Um, and I know Wesley Hill has talked about it where he says, you know, some people who are well-meaning go into the LGBT community and say, oh, but your life is miserable. It must be miserable. And they're like, no, it's actually like peaceful and life-giving and um, and we don't know what to do with that, but I think it's important to remember that sin doesn't always hurt us in an obvious way. Um, and I think of Psalm 73, and this is just like one verse within the context, but it says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. So righteousness doesn't always mean flourishing. Um, and the, the inverse of that is that a sinful practice doesn't always mean feeling like you're dead inside, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think they use the words lawful and beneficial to reference that verse. Like, for a Christian, all things are lawful because we get into heaven not based on what we do, but based on Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But not all things are beneficial. Right? And, like, I think, you know, like, well, these people have love, peace, patience, kindness, so it must be good. Well, that's true of everyone. I don't think there's any Christian who would say, Oh, all Muslims are have no love, peace, patience, kindness. Like, God is at work in all people, right? And, like, the Spirit, there's general revelation. Like, even before I was a Christian, certainly the Holy Spirit was working in my life, and there was things I knew about God and, and understood and things that he was doing in me. So, like, I think it shouldn't surprise us that we see those fruits of the Spirit in all of us because we're all sort of made in God's image. But, yeah, I would agree that, like, what's beneficial the, when the Bible's talking about beneficial there, what they're more meaning is not like, does it make you happy, like what I talked about on Sunday, or does it make you rich? What they mean is like, how does it affect like how close to God you feel and how much you're able to like, let God into all areas of your life in a very relaxed way without any feelings of fear or shame or hiding or anything getting in, in the way of your relationship with God. Um, I know that's a very complicated question, and there's more in like particular situations we might be able to talk about afterwards. Um, the next question was very interesting, and, this is, and then we'll open it up to the floor for a while for you guys to ask questions. Um, aside from certain diseases, is there anything harmful to a person about homosexual activity? That's a kind of a vague question, uh, but I'd be interested to hear anyone's thoughts. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say that 
homosexual or heterosexual sex either way can be destructive to a relationship when it's outside of a covenant marriage um, and can destroy relationships because you're experience, experiencing intimacy with someone that hasn't built a covenant with you and I feel like you're kind of cheapening it to an extent. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? One thing I think that was like maybe harmful in some way to me was like, you know, I would seek out someone to be involved with whose qualities I wanted to possess. And it was almost like cannibalistic. You know, like a cannibal, they would eat the people who they admired the most so that by consuming them, they would hope that they would sort of ingest those qualities or those characteristics. And like, I think, you know, people were doing that to me too. So I think like it kind of, and, and certainly this isn't just the case in homosexual relationships. It was like someone was like, I want this thing that you have. And so I was like a half full glass trying to have this person fill me. I think he was the same way. (laughs) You know, like I want what you have, but like we were both glasses that were sort of like half full, like trying to fight over who gets to be full, right? And like to fill each other. And rather than just like being at peace and like both filling ourselves up with God, so we're both like overflowing into each other just out of the overflow of what God was doing in our lives. And I, I think there is also like a certain narcissism. Like it's, it's very easy to be with someone who's just like you. And I think part of the fear and part of the risk and the challenge when I talk to my brothers about dating women is just that they are so different. They're like, I have no idea, you know, the way that they think. Like, I have no idea the way that they experience the world. And, like, it's this cross-cultural thing, like, all of the time. And I think, like, God actually wanted it to be that way. Like, he wanted us to be, like, having to speak a foreign language whenever we're in a relationship of, like, a completely at a loss to understand, like, the worldview of this other gender. Like, I love gender. I love it. I'm a linguist. I write a lot of things about gender. It's such an interesting concept to me. And, uh, yeah, like, I think that there is something about that love of the stranger, that love of the other, which runs all throughout the Bible in many, many, many different forms. We'll open the floor. Any other questions? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so uh, Pope Francis said that um, gay people should be integrated in society, that he upholds the Catholic belief that homosexual acts is still not the center of God's will for humans, but that gay people should have full integration in society and ministry. Um, what does he, does he mean, like, like, total acceptance of it? Or yeah, just, if you're not acting on it, then you should have full integration into society mm. and into ministry in the church? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess if that's what he means, I mean, we've kind of done that here at Midtown. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel <laughs> like um, like it's a safe place, if that's what he means, maybe for like people that struggle with homosexuality to open up and, and walk together through life and not be expected to just change or hide it or whatever, if that's what he means, yeah. I think that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christian life is often about walking an awkward third path in rejection of the options that the world gives. Yeah, any other questions? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I ask maybe a follow-up question, like boundaries in terms of relationships or activities or... Okay. Okay. Uh
Ben's favorite word is boundaries, and so I might give him the first crack at this. Boundaries provide freedom. That's why I like it. Um, <clears throat> I agree with that. Wow, whoops. Question. Sorry, uh, what practical boundaries are you putting in place in your life uh, which are, help you to live out this walk Christianly? Yeah. Uh, quick confession. Um, I, I don't think... I, I, quick, quick confession to, um, to, uh, to, to life group is, is usually... Um, or guys that I'm, I'm walking in life, in life with um, is... Is, is one of the, the healthiest boundaries that I've set. You know, there, there's different, uh, there's different, uh, people, people each have different temptations and whatnot. So, you know, for, for one, it may be putting a filter on your computer for, for another, that, that may not be an issue at all. You know, I would, I would suggest maybe uh, asking uh, men. Uh, one thing that I've, I've done is I've asked men in my life, like, what is something that you think that I'm not seeing, or what is something, is there something that I'm doing that either is not above approach or is, it, you see, may be harmful to me, and, and so, you know, kind of, kind of doing that. Have there any boundaries that you've nope. had to put up? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, this is an interesting question for me, because, like, I am, like, the most introverted person you'll ever meet, and so I, like, I prefer to live in, like, my own little world where I don't have to be vulnerable with people and tell them, like, a lot with what, with what Ryan was talking about. Um, but that's just not healthy. And, you know, as comfortable as I am there, like, that's just not, like, it's been revealed to me over and over again, especially within the past few months. Like, that's just not um, how I'm supposed to be living. And so boundary, like, specific boundaries are harder to define because it pe- depends a lot on, like, the setting and the context, uh, the relationship and stuff like that. Um, but I think understanding how love works and understanding that, you know, because, just because I have, like, an erotic tendency towards a certain person does not mean I have to act on it. And, you know, by no means means that I have to marry that person. Um, understanding that, you know, we, we like to see love on a spectrum of, like, friendship to, like, marriage. And I feel like love works more as, like, agape as an umbrella term, and then you have, like, friendship and then marriage under that. And so understanding, like, a marital you know, relationship is only one way of expressing love for another person. And so understanding how love works in that way um, has helped me out a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say just for me, like boundaries is kind of, I think of like telling myself to not do something. And I feel like when I'm telling myself to not do something, I end up focusing more on that thing. <laughs> and so like for me, I found it more helpful to cultivate the opposite, like to pick things like, I need to be cultivating this or pursuing this, and it's more like running toward what's good instead of like focusing on, I can't cross this line or that line, um, because then I would get bad. Then my attention is focused on what I shouldn't be doing instead of my attention focused on what I should be seeking. Uh, next question. Uh, yeah, ma'am? Right. Right, so the question is, like, if you have a friend who's uh, self-identifies as homosexual and is maybe in a relationship who doesn't know Jesus or, or would say that they're not a Christian outside of the church, how do you try to invite them to church knowing that they would have to leave maybe their partner or to leave something which is a very important part of their identity? Anybody want to take a crack at that? Yeah. Sure. Um, first of all, there's this book called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert that one of my friends made me read, and it's awesome, and I think everyone should read it. And it's about 
a woman that was an English professor and was living a homosexual lifestyle, had a partner, and then it's basically, she tells a story of like how she became a believer and how she addressed those things and how like her community affected her in the, in the midst of it. Um, one of the great things about having friends is that they usually aren't gonna immediately shoot you down when you disagree. Um, and I think that's why like in ex show, expressing Christ to someone, building that friendship is so crucial for them to take anything that you say as legitimate. Um, and then on top of that, like you're not gonna reconcile your sexual identity in one day. Um, if you have like a conversion experience, like you're not gonna immediately be like, okay, I'm done with it now. Like I'm done with living a homosexual lifestyle. Like it's gonna take time and it's gonna take your community and that's just another part of sanctification. So as you grow to become a believer, it's yes, that thing could be coming in the future but it's dealing with what's happening right now and how the Lord is working in your life right now. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is, I would say, is about discernment um, and just trusting the Spirit. So just like in my relationships with my brothers and my sisters um, who are part of my church family, when I'm in conversation with them, when we're hanging out, I want to get to know them. I want to know what's going to be good for their heart, what's going to be bad for their heart, how to talk to them. Um, with my friends that are not believers that are outside of the church, it's the same exact thing. I want to know their hearts. I want to get to know them on a personal level. When I talk to them, I'm going to trust that the Spirit is going to lead me in my conversation. So when we sit down for dinner, I know that at that dinner, it's not my job to say, this is what Jesus did, and this is what Jesus did, and this, 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 and now you have to accept Christ. And just wait for them to say, oh, now I'm accepting Christ. I know that I show Jesus in a way that I love them, in a way that I listen to them when they talk, in a way that I'm able to relate to them when things are hard with this walk that they're taking because they're human and I'm human. And through that, you build a real relationship with them, and then you get to talk about all these things and also staying true and firm to who you are. So in this relationship, no matter how much I love them, I'm never going to change what I believe in. And building that relationship, they're going to know that. So when they come to me for advice, they're going to know that I'm going to give them advice based on Scripture. Yeah, and I know some people who were in that position. They were in a relationship for a long time. One or both of them came to Christ. Um, and they didn't... The reason that eventually they did decide to just transition that relationship into just a Christian friendship, um, sort of like shifted gears and... And that worked because the church didn't make it a precondition. It wasn't like, oh, you became a Christian. Guess what? Now you're done. Right? Like, they let people, like, after being around Christian community for a while, what they wanted actually changed. It's kind of, to me, it's like someone who said, I would never become a Christian because God's going to call me to be a missionary in Africa and live in a hut somewhere, and that would be terrible. Like, well, I guess that's possible, but I think, like, by the time you got to this point that you would be, you would actually want to go to Africa. Like, he's, like, it's not like God's, puts a sign like go to you know like if you hate that like he, it would be the end of a process of really changing your desires and changing your perspective and what you want and so like for you know some of my friends like if you were in a relationship and you one or both of them became christians like i think over time as they were in christian community if you know as their desires aligned with jesus you know then they probably would the spirit the himself would tell them when it was right and in the way that needed to be said if you know to back off from that to a friendship Good question, though. It's really hard. I have a lot of friends that I'm working, you know, have in my life like that. So, yeah, other questions? Uh, I'll, I'll do in the back. Yeah.
Okay. Yeah. So the question was like, what if someone seems content, like they've, they've met Jesus and they seem very content to be in a relationship, maybe years have gone by, you know, like, when would the church maybe <laughs> want to step in and, and say something, you know, and be like, any... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a question that we deal with um, with believers with all kinds of sins um, that, that, you know, we notice in each other. And, you know, if, if there's anyone that you're walking with in community, you know, specifically at Midtown in the life group situation, um, and they're content in their sin, regardless of what it is, then at that point, it is our job as their community to start to call them out on that sin and to not let each other be complacent in the things that are, are very clearly the things that God has said um, in terms of how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to love and all those kinds of things. And so I think, like, ultimately, a lot of it goes back to what was saying in following the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding you um, and knowing when that time comes. But as you're walking in community with people, and you sense the Holy Spirit saying, hey, it's time, this person should not be continuing to be complacently walking in this sin, then, you know, you, you start to deal with that and walk through that with them and not just ignore it. Um, and that's the case with any sin that we're dealing with, with, with people that we're walking through in life. So, mm-hmm. I would also suggest digging deeper. Um, I mean, you can't claim whether someone is saved or not. Like, you don't know that. Um, but you can't have faith in the Spirit in them, and you can just continue, continue to push them towards Jesus. Um, I mean, I def- there definitely comes a point where when their acts aren't what in line with what the church says, then you, like, have to step in. But, like, along the way, praying for them and telling them truth and digging deeper and seeing, like, where the heart issue is um, can definitely help for mm-hmm. outward acts. Yeah. One, like, a general principle, I think, is, like, what if— someone is unrepentedly greedy. You know, the Bible says that greed is a, is a deep sin. In fact, Jesus talks way more about greed than he does about this. It's like if someone was greedy and in the church for like several years and showed no sign of stopping to be greedy, you know, we would say something kind of like about the greed. And, you know, I even got a question like, you know, what should I do with a family member who is, you know, living in, with a homosexual partner and is unrepentant of it? you know, when should we just, like, kick them out of our family? It's like, well, what if your family member was unrepentantly greedy? You know, like, how would you handle that situation? Because to God, that's very serious, right? But so we, we don't want to, like, confuse what our culture thinks is a more serious issue with what God does. But we would also, I think, if someone was unrepentant about their greed after several years, like, the Bible kind of walks us through steps of, like, how we would start to, like, say, what are you trusting in? Like, what role does Jesus play? Yeah, another person, or, oh, you've already asked, I, I might get her, yeah. What do y'all think about gay marriage in terms of, like, the secular world? Ooh. Yeah, she said, what do you think about gay marriage in terms of the secular world, in terms of the political institution and the U.S. government? I will gladly discuss that with you afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that you would find on this panel a wide range of perspectives. Um, and I feel that I don't want to privilege one political position over the other. And I think we all love Jesus and we all have very different convictions politically about how that would work out, if that's a good diplomatic answer. Okay. <laughs> Okay, now, yeah, another question. Um, this whole time we've been talking about homosexuality, you know, murder, sexuality. 
Hmm, that's a great question. And, you know, I think you've probably noticed that uh, we're using the word same-sex attraction or same-gender attraction. That's, I think, one of the ways that we try to get around that is it's less of a word which names an identity and is more of like a descriptive term which would catch a, a much wider group of people. And so like, different words have different like sort of social meanings and I think are more affiliated with identity. Um, thoughts about like how to deal with this in a way that doesn't sort of reinforce the confusion or the mixing up of sexuality and identity? Oh, uh, yes. Sorry, I forgot. About it. Thank you. I didn't know what that signal was for. Uh, the question was, basically, like, in our culture, homosexuality is talked about as if it's, like, an inherent identity. And in the biblical worldview, all Christians are called to abandon or to throw off all of these identities. They, any of these things, Greek barbarian, Jew, slave, don't define us. Right? So how do we talk about this in a way which doesn't reinforce our culture's sort of stance that sexuality equals identity? Um, so that's why I was talking about, like, we sometimes use a little bit more specific terms that focus on the verb rather than, like, this abstract noun. Any other? I have never identified as gay. Um, you know, I've never, that's just, for me, you know, one thing, if someone asked me, I, actually someone asked me last week, how would you identify, and I would say, like, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm in Christ, I'm hidden in Christ with him. When, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus, and, um, and I struggle with same-sex attraction, so. Yeah, and Paul said, you know, he could be He's like, I'll become all things to all people for the sake of winning some. Like, because Paul's only identity was Jesus Christ, he could temporarily take on an identity if he's like, it would, it would facilitate the gospel to take on this identity. So I will self-identify as gay in certain situations if I think that that's the, that's the language that people understand. Like, that's the best term for this person in terms of where they're coming from. I won't in others. Like, if it will, whatever won't be a stumbling block to people, whatever would facilitate a chance to talk about Jesus and make much of Jesus, I'll use that word. And so, like, to me, they're not sort of identities. Yeah, another questions? Ooh. Well, luckily we have some from the blog. I might go to one of those. Um... What can you share about your own opposite sex attractions? Um, if you're attracted to the same sex, does that mean you're not attracted to opposite sex at all? And um, hmm. so, so I have been in a relationship um, with a woman. It was, well, growing up I was in several relationships with women, but not for the right reasons, just because I thought no one wouldn't wonder about my sexuality then. Um, and then coming into uh, Midtown, um, I ended up meeting a woman who was beautiful um, physically and just had this amazing heart for the Lord and serving her family. And uh, it started with being really attracted to that and seeing how she loved and served my brothers and sisters. And then from there seeing the Lord work in my heart and in my eyes and being really, really, really attracted to her and everything that she was physically. Um, I think I'm, of course, I'm going to recognize when a woman is beautiful. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Is that good? Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree with
I'm currently dating someone who is beautiful. Um, and Aww. Um, but there, <laughs> um, I guess I kind of want to talk about some things that you have to, like, that are difficult but are growing and sanctifying. Um, you really learn a lot about yourself, a lot about your own pride and, and, and selfishness. Um, and you really have to die to a lot of your own, like, fantasies and, and, and desires and even and just lies that you've been told, I guess. <clears throat> so um, it's, it's tough, but it's, it's super sanctifying. Um, and it doesn't, I mean, I think it's different for everyone. Um, but for me, it doesn't, doesn't mean I don't struggle daily with, like, um, with same-sex attraction, um, but um, it's it's cool because you get to fight together with someone, and and the person who you're fighting with has to be super patient, <laughs> and and really die to their own desires too, because it's not going to be this fairy tale, like sweep you off your feet, um, like always want to be together, always like say the right things, but but it's so sanctifying and it's and it's really good. Um, with dating and same-sex attraction, I feel like, well, okay, so the point of dating is to get married, and so the, the main attraction to marriage for me at this point is, like, companionship. Um, pretty much every married couple I've talked to at Midtown has said that it's, like, 80% friendship when you get married. Um, or 95. 95. That's what they usually Mostly friendship, yeah. um, which I'm big on friendship. It's great. I love it. Um, and so I think that I feel like it's almost almost a blessing because I don't have a romance idol when it comes to heterosexual relationships. And so it's just like purely enjoying someone's company and like enjoying collaborating with them. So I'm not, I'm like not all about dating or anything like that, just in general as my personality, but that's definitely something that I would look for. Yeah, my friends were in that situation like where the man was primarily attracted to men or exclusively ended up marrying a woman who was a very understanding woman. This was sort of all out in the open as they were dating and getting to married. They said like God really grew in them, surprising attractions as it became like appropriate over time. Like their friendship, it was really just like this deep friendship. Like lifelong, I know Jesus better. I love Jesus. Like I understand more of Jesus when I'm with you and vice versa, and I couldn't imagine doing life without you. And then as that deep friendship, that deep emotional and just life meshing goes on, that the attractions come as you, you sort of try that out and like that they develop over time. So our culture would say the first thing you do is you want to have sex with someone, and then later, because you want to have sex with them, you might develop like a friendship or something out of it, and it'd be enough. But like this is, it would be the opposite, right? It's like you're like, this is my best friend, and, like, I think I could develop wanting to have sex with them and have a baby with this person, maybe. You know, and so, like, it would be kind of, but both are paths which lead to the same end, like, I think, of, of having a full relationship in Jesus Christ. Uh, one more chance for a question from the floor, then I'll take a couple. Uh, uh, there's, well, I'll do two. Okay, and, well, you can go ahead first, and then I'll take the gentleman back. Yeah, so she asked, what about adoption, um, single adoption? Is there anything that you've considered? And you guys want to jump on that? I'm, like, all about it. 
Yeah, if, it were, if I were a woman, it would be easier. Single male adoption is really difficult and really frowned upon for a lot of um, reasons. I've looked into it. Um, it is hard, just the way that society is to make that work. Um, in the back, someone really want to ask a question? Yeah. Can, can I, like, rephrase and see if I'm getting it? Like, are you saying, like, if someone exhibits, like, stereotypical behavior or interests which are stereotypically associated with homosexuality, should you try to help them, like, change those mannerisms or those habits? Uh, I would say I don't think you have to. I mean, biblical masculinity and femininity can take a lot of different forms, and, like, being involved and like having friends and being a part of activities as a man that other men are involved in, I think that can have some value. But I, you don't have to, I think, change necessarily what you're interested in or even how you dress. I, I don't really think Jesus cares about that stuff most of the time. I mean, there might be, like, it, maybe on like a case by case basis, it, it'd be sort of hard, I think, to answer. But I think that kind of segues into maybe a question that I did want to ask everyone on the panel to kind of comment on. And we can, if I didn't really answer your question, uh, feel free to come up to me afterwards. Is like sort of what have you learned about masculinity or femininity, depending, whichever one is sort of your target. Uh, And how, what is like the biblical model of it and maybe how that's different than the cultural model and sort of your own personal journeys of tribes of this. And I'd love to hear from everyone a little briefly on this. Um, this may hit on what you're asking about a little bit. I think that we, uh, so we know what we uh, are. We know that Jesus says that we are men, um, and that is our role model. I think that a lot of times because of culture, we still feel like we have to fit into these roles to be men. Um, and I know for me specifically when I found out I was leading a life group, and I got the list of guys, and I was super excited. And then I was instantly terrified because I said, I felt like I wasn't man enough to lead these guys. Um, so I went to Kent, who Thor shared a story about, and he sat me down and he said, okay, well, let's talk about some of the lies that you're believing that you have to be in order to lead these guys. And then just through that conversation, like him showing me what makes me a man and that these ideas that society has put into my head, they do not. Um, so I quickly told my life group guys that I'm going to be their leader. I'm going to love them. I'm going to push them towards Christ. I'm also going to uh, love musicals. I'm not going to sit and watch football with you. I will play soccer with you, and I'll run with you, and I'm also uh, going to be the first one to volunteer to cook for you guys. So all of these things that are very stereotypical of a man should not do this and a man should do this, they don't matter. They are crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, yeah, I've, I feel like I went through the same situation with my life group. Um, I was like, man, I really want to get into like video games and football so I can have something, a way to relate with these guys. But we were, we were relating around Jesus, you know. And um, I guess what I've seen is I look at Jesus and I look at his characteristics, like a humble leader, like gentle when he needed to be gentle, um, tough when he needed to be tough, um, pursuing and pushing and, and not being afraid to call out, um, but doing it gently. Um, so those are 
those are things that I've learned and it's life-changing because I grew up with a dad who was super masculine and and luckily didn't like football so I didn't have to worry about that but um, you know it's it's it takes a lot of pressure off I guess um, one of my favorite things about Proverbs 31 when it talks about being a godly woman is that nowhere in it does it say you have to like pink or have your monogram on everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> basically, what I've learned the most about biblical femininity is that the things that I enjoy doing and my hobbies and things that I like don't define me as a godly woman. Um, there's definitely been a point where I've like struggled with that idea and thinking that I like wasn't enough of a woman or wasn't girly enough and things like that. Um, but I, I'm, have had I had like the most amazing life group for like three or four years, and then I made the weird decision to leave it and start leading, and it was so sad. Um, but I was like so blessed by that life group because all of those girls were so godly, and so it's like again, community is so key for it because you can learn so much from these people, and then also still like to build things on the side, still enjoy video games. Like it's completely okay to do this. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's do. Um, well, in general, and I, this reiterates a lot of what has been said, but there's a big difference between like uh, societal gender roles and true biblical femininity and masculinity. Um, so I know for us, like, I mean, societal gender roles in our marriage, like, that it doesn't look like that. He does the cooking and the grocery shopping. And uh, when we moved into our house after we got married, I was the one hanging everything on the walls with my power tools, which I owned before we got married. So, um, <laughs> so like, that's... Yeah, the gender roles are different than biblical masculinity and femininity. But I would love to say something real quick about, like, in marriage, what biblical femininity and masculinity should look like. And again, this is from Ephesians 5. Um, but it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Um, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, like, biblical femininity in marriage looks like me submitting to and as my husband, as the leader of our household. And if you have qualms or hang-ups with the whole submission thing, I would love to talk to you about that later at length. I have lots to say about it. Um, I put it in my vows because I needed to say that, um, and I needed to affirm that that was my calling. Um, and, you know, husbands in marriage, um, their commitment is to, is to um, um, responsibility is to love me as Christ loved the church and as he gave himself up for the church. Um, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Um, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And that's the calling of a man um, in biblical masculinity, in marriage. Um, So I would just encourage you to kind of look at Ephesians 5 for those roles in marriage and what that should look like. Can be a little quicker in the remaining answers. Just there's one more question I want to get. Um, And so yeah, biblical masculinity is difficult, obviously through um, Ephesians five. But yeah, you know what I've learned just growing up is you know my idea of what a man was was someone who had big pecs and was tan and could shave like you know three times a day and still have a beard. I shaved on Saturday, (laughs) and maybe if you get up close, you get like count three whiskers on my chin right now, and I'm pasty white, but you know, just realizing that biblical masculinity is far more than physical appearance, and also um, it's okay that uh, I really wanted a KitchenAid mixer, and she got it for me our first Christmas, so, you know, it was great, so. I'll kind of expound upon this a little bit more in our final 
question, but the the short answer is is surrounding surrounding myself with uh, with godly men, uh, and then one of the most healing things that's ever happened in my life was one of my friends who was leaving to move away uh, sat me down and you know he said you know you're not you don't play sports and you don't go hiking a lot and I was wondering why he was saying all these things because <laughs> and um, and he said but he he just affirmed me and he and he affirmed. Uh, he affirmed me and he, he, he told me that I was the godly man that he wanted to aspire to be. And it, I mean, it just, I was done after that because it was amazing. Great. Mary? Um, one thing that I've always found kind of interesting is how you can have, like, one trait, and depending on whether, like, the individual is heterosexual or homosexual, it can be perceived totally differently. Like, a straight girl who likes hiking is really cool. A gay girl who likes hiking is really butch. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like I never understood that um, because then like I've gotten really self-conscious like am I not acting straight right now should I be act like I didn't know what that meant and uh, <laughs> um, I think what's helped is that or what my experience has been is that I never had like a collapse of the gender binary like I never felt like a guy um, or like self-identified as you know masculine or anything like that but I built up such a cultural femininity, and now, only now, like, I'm beginning to, like, deconstruct that and build up, okay, what is biblical femininity? So that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We all are called to leave the world's categories and enter new categories, which are created just by Jesus. Uh, the last question I want to do is kind of a uh, happy one, and I think a good one. Like, what have people done in your life which has been especially practically helpful? Like, how has Midtown, maybe in particular, been a good church for you? What have people in this family done for you? Um, I have amazing brothers um, that I live with, that I am in a life group with, um, that are constantly pushing me towards Jesus, um, that are constantly checking up on me um, with this specific struggle and with any other struggle that I have. Um, brothers that are constantly reminding me that I am not special, um, that I am in need of Jesus. I also have really amazing sisters um, that let me be men. Um, let me be a man. I'm not only a one. Let me be a, a man. Um, they let me lead them in so many ways um, and love them well. So I would just say brothers and sisters are amazing. Um, I've been blessed with an incredible family. Yeah, same. Um, I live with Marcus and Thor and, some, and we live with six guys total or, or seven total. Um, and they're just great. And ask questions and 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 don't treat you as like some other you know and one of my roommates in particular who is one of my best friends is not Thor mentioned this on Sunday but he's not afraid to ask awkward questions that even make us uncomfortable but <laughs> it's so important and we need to be asked those and <clears throat> that for me is like spoken a ton because like, at the beginning of our friendship, my friend was, I guess, you could say he was afraid of homosexuals or homophobic. And so, of course, I was terrified to tell him, like, about me. Um, but he has Jesus in him, and he has, like, loved me so well, like, after I told him, and is, like, affirming. And out of all my friends, he's the one that's most willing to ask uncomfortable questions. And it's not just uncomfortable for me. I'm sure it's uncomfortable for him. So that's huge. Like, and also, 
Like if you, if someone in your life group comes to you and tells you this or, or whoever, gosh, it's so important to follow up um, because they won't forget in two weeks that they told you about it, you know, if, if you don't bring it up. They're, they're like, man, I told him. Why isn't he following up with me? Um, so that's follow-up is huge, I think, and really helpful. Uh-huh. Uh, I just completely lost the thing I was going to start with. Um, okay, one of the things that I get the most overwhelmed by, which is, like, a fantastic thing to get overwhelmed by, is when people will, like, email me or text me or like around my Facebook wall or just like, hey, I'm praying for you. Um, that has been like one of the most comforting things in the world for me. Um, knowing that someone like, no, like cares enough to remember your struggle and remember you when they're like speaking with the Lord is huge. Um, and just knowing that like when I am struggling with things, I can word vomit to one of my friends and make no sense. And they're just like, okay, like I'm praying for you. And then we'll just like speak truth to me. Um, it's incredible. Hey, you guys, maybe as a couple, have there things that people have done for you or you've done for each other? Yeah. Um, well, I think just for me personally, I mean, just like what's been very helpful is just like when I tell other people like uh, in a life group or something, it's just like for, for people to be like, like what you mentioned on Sunday, Thor, is like, like, oh, okay, that's your struggle. Like not saying like, ooh, gross, or that's, that's different, you know, kind of like what they were saying. It was just like, okay. We'll walk together through this, and, and by the way, here's what I'm dealing with, you know, and just treating each other like we all have struggles, and they're all equal in God's sight. So, um. Yeah, I mean, just in general, like, community, having a place like this where, where you can talk and let people know, like, your story, and I mean, this is our struggle. Um, and I think the other thing that's super encouraging then is when that can like flow over to help other people. So when we have opportunities to talk with other people who are walking through similar situations, um, like that's super, super awesome. And you see like a purpose for all of the things that God has brought you through when you get to, to also share that with other people. So. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I remember I started leading a life group almost exactly four years ago and, um, I remember the second night that we were meeting, the Lord put it on my heart in a, a way that I could have not said no to share with them everything. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I know I'm going to lose a lot of their friendships, but if Jesus is telling me to do this, I guess I have to. And I did. I, I shared with them. We were at the old Sarge Stadium. And, um, and they hugged me afterward. And I, learned, I saw an earthly form of a truth that I learned a lot later, that, um, that Jesus doesn't shame us out of our sin, but he loves us out of our sin. I just forgot what I was going to say. Awesome. Do you want me to talk first for a bit? And then you uh, can... No, I'll make something okay. up. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it really does come back to, like, unconditional acceptance and unconditional love. Um, I mean, like, one, another one of my struggles that's even, like, more deep-rooted than the sexuality thing is um, believing that I'm lovable. Hmm. And, you know, that comes from a lot of, like, insecurity and self-hatred. And so when somebody knows everything about me, and still is like, I'm not letting go of you. Like, that just blows my mind sometimes. Because I'm like, how? You know, I always want to be like, oh, but you don't know this about me. And when you know this, you're certainly going to leave. And, like, people have proven over and over again, like, that's not true. Um, 
And so the fact that there are like friendships like that that exist that I, you know, can be totally safe in, like that gives me a lot of hope and encouragement. Hmm. Yeah. One last thing, uh, like from my answer to this, like, just some people can eat like a ton of bacon and like I had to use bacon because it's a midtown thing and like 30 minutes later they're hungry again you know some people can eat one donut and they don't have to eat the whole rest of the day because they have different metabolism right and I think it's the same thing for affection you know like some people can get like affection just get one hug and they're fine for four weeks you know some people like you could never give me enough hugs right and I think like one of the things that is often true is people who um our same-sex attracted often have, like, a pretty high metabolism for same-sex affection. Um, like, it's, I've heard that sin is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. That, like, that's the best way to describe what sin is. So we all are inborn with a legitimate desire for same-sex intimacy, which is fine. And, like, but if you're not going to get that need met in legitimate ways, you're going to be more tempted to meet it in ways which would end up being, maybe being destructive or are acting out are, are imbalanced. And so I think like one of the best things that you can do is to not be afraid of same-sex intimacy in a healthy way. I mean, like hug, like wrestling, just putting your arms around them. Like, okay, this may be different for women. Okay, for men at least. Me. What? Go ahead. Just, just you. Just me. Okay, just you. But like I think for like a lot of people, even if it's not physical intimacy, but just being in that kind of situation is like I am experiencing really healthy Jesus-centered and, like, really affirming intimacy with people of the same gender. Like, the church is being a family to me, like, in the way that it is. And I think that's, like, one of the very practical things that people in Midtown have been doing great in my life here. I know it's, it's time for you to go. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming tonight. I really appreciate that. Um, some of us will be available here um, at the front if you have specific questions. What I'd really urge you, though, is to continue to walk through these questions, whether you're someone who can identify with us or not, uh, with your life group leaders, with your life group leader coaches. They can maybe help connect you to us or to the pastors at Midtown to continue these conversations, continue the dialogues, uh, whether it's a personal issue for someone that you know or just something you're curious about. I know we could really only scratch the surface, but you know these things lead into the same kinds of questions that all Christians have, the same sort of dynamics of self-denial. And, and if you don't know Jesus, probably a lot of what we said today makes no sense. Like, unless you have, like, the... Unless you share, like, a whole list of, like, 200 assumptions about reality <laughs> that we all share because we've, we love Jesus and submitted our life, this isn't going to make a lot of sense. And so, you know, I just, like, appreciate, like, if you were just kind of here observing, just to, to know that, I would encourage you to, to go back and listen to the sermon on Sunday or some other things and to try to get a little bit more perspective on what we we're saying that might help uh, you understand maybe where some of our comments are coming from. Let me just close in prayer, and I uh, will thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for my brothers and sisters who are willing to um, expose themselves uh, literally <laughs> to the vision of all of these hundreds of people in the room and metaphorically to take out the things that used to be sources of shame, that used to be tucked away in the darkness, something that they would fight and they would rather die than have anyone know this about them. I just thank you so much the triumph of the freedom of the gospel, that they're here willing to um, share that with a whole crowd of people, willing to take something away from a dark corner 
where no one could touch it and bring it out into the light where you transform it into something beautiful, where you change it into something that gives you glory, that makes you famous, um, that, that shares more of who you are and what your true nature is and all of the many different stories um, that you write yourself into in the lives of humans. I just thank you so much for these brothers and sisters' sacrifice and for the clear work that you've done in their lives. Just help this church continue to be a safe place um, to, to wrestle, um, to ask questions, to deal with different issues. And even when we disagree, I pray it's a, a pr- place that we can disagree well and honestly and lovingly. Um, I pray all of this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.